Well, hello, everybody, and we are back with episode 21. That's a cool number, isn't it? Of the Shiny Developer Series. And third, first, thank you so much for tuning back in. And if you want to catch up on the previous episodes, every episode, no matter if it's our interviews like we're about to do now, or my adventures with live streaming uh, Shiny app development, they are all on our YouTube channel. Um, the links are in the description below, of course. And I always welcome your feedback. I've been getting some great comments on the previous episodes and really great uh, viewership. So I really hope it's been resonating a lot with everybody. Um, so today I'm really thrilled with the guest that we're going to have. He is another now two-time guest of the Shiny Dev series. And ever since the beginning of this escapade that I've been on, I've always wanted the perspectives and not just those that are using Shiny in practice in terms of their day-to-day -day work or their personal projects. We also like to get the inside story on some of the cool things happening with the Shiny team. And we are about to be joined by one of the newest members of the Shiny team. He was a previous guest on episode five of the Shiny Developer Series. Let's welcome in our studio software engineer, Nick Strayer. So Nick, uh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. Absolutely. We're exciting. thrilled to have you. Cool. we got lots of cool stuff to talk about. But I think the first place is if we take a step back to your journey from since we last talked to you till now, as I alluded to, you are now a member of the our studio uh, company and now the Shiny team. So I'd love to hear more. And maybe you could tell our listeners about that journey to our studio and what your role on the Shiny team is these days. Yeah, so um, the uh, kind of going back to the very beginning, uh, kind of of my use of Shiny, the very first time I used Shiny was uh, when I was a sophomore in college um, and I was doing some aquatic ecology research and building models. And I'd heard about this Shiny thing. Um, and so I, I put one of the models I had been building uh, into a Shiny app um, and gave kind of my advisor ways to tweak the parameters and see how it resulted. and. Everybody really, really liked that. Um, and I tweeted about it and Hadley Wickham retweeted me. Uh, and that uh, kind of kicked off an interest with Shiny that has, has stayed kind of till this day. Um, and so I, I got a little bit more serious about Shiny as I got into grad school. And in grad school for biostatistics, you know, everybody uses R and Shiny is also kind of a big um, component of that kind of for the more tech savvy uh, side of biostatistics, which I certainly um, found a strong desire to be in. Nice. Um, yeah. So basically, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff with Shiny uh, kind of recreationally. And then as I started being able to be integrated into my research, you know, building applications to convey kind of results that we were doing, I found it was quite fun. Um, at the same time, kind of in parallel, I did a lot of JavaScript development uh, for doing interactive data visualization stuff. Um, and kind of that combination of JavaScript and Shiny is, is rather uh, unique. So it kind of became my gimmick. Um, started, you know, making just kind of tiny little modules that do enhancements with some basic JavaScript. Um, but people like that. Um, there's certainly a demand for it. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And then uh, as I was getting to the end of grad school, I found that I was spending more and more time um, dedicated to, you know, kind of learning about web technologies and kind of ways to make the apps that I was building better and faster and, you know, kind of generally nicer looking. Um, and I really, when I was uh, kind of deciding what I was going to do post grad school, uh, you know, I was looking at, at research and continuing the academia path, um, but I really realized that I was getting a little bit more kind of interest and joy out of some of the stuff that I was doing with the web technology uh, stuff. And, you know, I realized that I had kind of a unique perspective on everything kind of coming from the strongly kind of biostats data science side of things, uh, but with some sort of software development background. Um, so our studio kind of seemed like it would be a really great fit um and there was lucky enough to be an opening when i was looking and 
the, the rest is kind of history. Um, but I think potentially more importantly for kind of the viewers of this, uh, because my story is just kind of one anecdote, uh, is that when I was doing this job search post-grad school, coming out with kind of my my kind of gimmick, which I think everybody needs uh, when they're trying to find a job is my gimmick was, you know, I, I can make good shiny apps. And there was <laughs> no, no shortage of people that were interested in hiring for that. Like, Amazing. you know, it's a very privileged position to have multiple job offers um, and multiple things to choose from. And all of them were really excellent. And so I think, uh, you know, if you're watching this, this developer series, you're in a very good position in terms of employability. Uh, so I think that's, that's great. And, you know, finding a niche uh, within even shiny is, is also a really good way to, to get greater demand uh, and hopefully get you the job that you want. Um, so I guess kind of since I've been at our studio, you know, I haven't been here for too long, just a few months. Um, I've, I've really worked uh, a good bit on some of the stuff uh, for shiny app stories, which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. Absolutely. Um, and then I've been spending a, a lot of time on a project that isn't quite ready for release yet, but hopefully will be soon that I'm quite excited about. It's mm -hmm. kind of related to laying out uh, dashboards. Uh, and I think hopefully uh, will be kind of a really valuable tool for people that kind of want to quickly get a dashboard up in a way that isn't kind of constrained uh, by some of the limitations of current tools like uh, Flex Dashboard or Shiny Dashboard. Um, so not ready quite yet, but keep tuned uh, and <laughs> hopefully we'll have something about it soon where people can try it out. I will be watching that space very closely. <laughs> I've been making a ton of uh, dashboards, whether they're for more small scale analyses or from some of the more sophisticated things in a overall design pipeline. So yeah, I will be very interested and I'm sure many of our viewers will be the same. And it is interesting advice you just shared about finding that niche and really excelling at it. Certainly the industry I'm a part of is one of the biggest users of Shiny, which still kind of boggles my mind in one sense, but at the same time, I'm one of them. And there are many others in similar shoes as me that we've been trying to supercharge analytical routines, pipelines, or even just interpreting vast amounts of data with, with R and Shiny combined. It's, yeah, it is it is huge. And hopefully if you're a viewer out there, definitely check out what we're gonna be talking about today as well as the back catalog. There's just tons of good insights across developers in, in all the spectrum. So yeah, I, and let, yeah, I'd say let's is a great chance to talk about when Shortly after you joined, and I was, of course, keeping an eye on the developments on social media and just in our studio in general, and I see this little thing called Shiny App Stories come through. I'm like, well, that seems right up my alley. I want to know more about this. So, yeah, please um, tell our listeners the motivation for launching this, and maybe we'll dive into an example of some of the apps you've been working on for that. Yeah, so Shiny App Stories are kind of, well, they're very much a kind of an experimental form of documentation, kind of how I think about them is coming into the Shiny team, uh, I think I had a, a very valuable kind of context compared to people that have been on the team for a while, which is that I was very recently kind of pushing that envelope of what Shiny can do, kind of using the Shiny features. And one of the things that I kind of found lacking, um, or maybe not lacking, but that I wanted uh, was documentation that really touched on kind of the why instead of the how, because you know, there's lots of documentation on how to use things. You know, every function has pretty good documentation and then the kind of shiny articles on the website get into kind of very basic use cases. Um, but I found that what I really wanted is, you know, like there's all these kind of interesting things that you can do with uh, shiny in regards to reactivity and stuff like that, that without kind of a really good kind of, uh, kind of example that isn't a trivial, just like, you know, the geyser app, uh, example, <laughs> it's really hard to kind of understand why you would use it. Yes. Um, and so the app stories are kind of an attempt to take a real world app that wasn't kind of skimped on to be a kind of a demonstration for something um 
but that uses hopefully kind of some of the newer kind of more interesting features um, and then talks about, you know, why we use them, you know, why we use the given feature where, mm-hmm. how that made the app better, you know, how we went about saying like, this is a good place to use that feature. Um, and then also it kind of serves in a way is, you know, there's, there's a, a really good community around Shiny and R in general that will find features, cool features of the language and, and then, you know, write blog posts or share on Twitter about how they were using them. Um, but some of the new features in Shiny, you know, there just hasn't been enough time for people to get their hands on them and, and know how and when to use them and then share those. And so this, these app stories serve as a way of us kind of jumpstarting that process. Uh, so like the very first app story focused on some of the new stuff in uh, Shiny 1.6, which is uh, cache binding um, for arbitrary reactives and then also some of the BS lib stuff. Yes. Um, and so that's something that, you know, people are going to do really cool stuff with that, but mm-hmm. you know, it's going to take a while for them to understand where and how to use it. Um, and so this was kind of a way of saying, here's, you know, here's a real world scenario where you would actually use those things. Um, and then kind of selfishly also, it, it provides us as developers, a kind of excuse to stay focused on the true goal that, you know, we, we're building a tool and it's very easy when you build a tool to get lost about uh, kind of get lost in the internals of that tool and forget about, you know, why people actually use it. Um, and so Shiny is no different than that. You know, we spend a lot of time deep in, you know, the JavaScript internals or deep in kind of the internals of uh, how reactivity works and stuff like that, um, that we never take a step back and say like, you know, is this really something that we need to focus on or is there something else that is uh, very valuable uh, that would make our users' lives easier? Um, and so App Story is kind of attempt to give us a reason to develop these kind of truly um, real world apps uh, that aren't just kind of demos that we've catered to specifically um, show kind of one feature for documentation. Yeah, this seems like an awesome way to learn, like you said, to learn about where these things can be put in practice. And even as someone like me, who's obviously not on the Shiny team, I'm more of a consumer of the tools you're making. When I build complex applications, sometimes the best way I learn is that I'm not just the author of that application for other users, but that I am one of the users of the application to get my own job done. So it is amazing. It's almost like two halves of a brain that do can think quite differently. But when you have that user story, user experience um, factor in mind, it may may change some of the things you prioritize or change some of the way you present how to use something so i think this the app stories is a great way to bridge both of those sides together so yeah i'm I'm certainly excited to to see where this goes cool well so why don't I we can, uh, uh, why don't we dive into it right i'm gonna perfect sh- show yeah. your screen let's um <laughs> so i'm going to demo uh so this is the first the app story uh Currently, the way that the app stories work is there's kind of one app that we build and then we write, you know, multiple stories about it. We've only done one. Um, and so currently, the, the app story that is up there is, is about building an app for exploring weather patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a little bit of context is the NOAA, um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, I believe, I might have messed that up, uh, has data called uh, climate normals, um, and these climate normals are um, data on what a normal day's climate is for a given weather station. So they have a bunch of 12,000 or so weather stations scattered around the U.S., um, and each of these weather stations have basically have aggregated all their data and said, you know, on May 5th, the average temperature is some degrees, you know, say 55 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the average high for the day is uh, whatever, and the average low. Um, and they also have stuff about precipitation, although that's only uh, kind of at the monthly level. Um, and so, one of the things I have recently, you know, when I uh, finished grad school, I recently moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, and the weather is very different here than it was in uh, Tennessee, where I was before. And one of the things that kept on happening is my wife would ask me, like, you know in you know june what is the temperature going to be like are we going to need you know snowshoes or t-shirts kind of <laughs> thing 
and it was one of those things where you know I didn't know the answer, and so I was like, no, there's probably a way to find this data. Um, and so I went uh, and found the data, and I realized that it was kind of a really good example of uh, building an app. So I built an app to look at it, and then uh, realized that it was there was a lot of scenarios in the app itself that uh, used some of the new features that we had just uh, released in Shiny 1.6, and so kind of snowballed from there, and we decided to spin out this app story. Um, so uh, the app is, is, as you see here on the right, um, so we have things, uh, you can return to a previous city. At the beginning, this is just randomly generated. Uh, you can search for your city. It defaults to Ann Arbor because that's where I'm from. Um, or you can randomly go to a city. And we have a ggplot here that's uh, using the patchwork package to build two plots stacked on top of each other. Um, and we have the temperature curve for the city with high and low. Um, and there's some complex like annotations in here. So they're kind of complex plots, uh, also using patchwork, which adds a little bit of uh, rendering time. Um, and basically what happens is when you search for a city, it goes out to the database and pulls it down. And so what we can do is we can do something like uh, search for Minneapolis, which is where uh, both Carson Sievert and Winston Chang live on our team. Um, and so you can see it went pretty quickly, um, but there was still a loading time and that loading time is getting sure. data, parsing the data into the right yep. form. Uh, and then generating the plots. And so, you know, the loading time is is not trivial. Um, I will say we actually ended up scraping all the NOA data because their servers went down. And so <laughs> we're hosting the data ourselves. Wow. When we weren't hosting the data ourselves, it was a much slower process because we had to query their servers on a different server and now the data is on local. So it's faster. Um, and then, uh, but uh, regardless, there's still kind of a, a, a lag but we have this return to previous city button. So say we wanted to compare Minneapolis to Ann Arbor. We return to Ann Arbor, you can see that it's like instant. Um, and that's just because what we've done is we've used um, bind cache on the data. So we have this city data reactive here. Mm -hmm. And then if you scroll down, we've just added the single line, which is bind cache. And it's based on this input city, uh, which is bound to this city value. Wow. And so all that we need you know all of this complex logic that goes on up here is very easily just you know shiny now will say i know that what's going on in here only depends on the city variable um and there's no other kind of external things like time that matter so every time that the city variable is the same thing this result we can just cache it and just look it up and it's really quick and so what that means is that you know we skip all of the other kind of annoying um queries. Uh, so that's really, really nice. And, you know, the difference uh, is just the single line of code. Um, but that's something that, you know, isn't totally obvious. And someone might be a little bit uh, unclear about, you know, kind of a context that that would, that would be useful in. Um, and so this was uh, hopefully a good uh, kind of demonstration of that. I can only imagine um, the engineering behind that feature, because it almost seems too yeah. good to be true that just that one line is automatically knowing that the reactives downstream of that input changing are also going to be cached. That, it, 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 I'm, I know it's not magic per se, but boy, what a nice result of well, that one change. <laughs> so there's, so there, the plot rendering is also cached. Oh. Um, and so there's this bind cache input city. So okay. we have just, we just bound in that line, we bound the, um, we bound the city data reactive and the data itself is used in a couple different scenarios it's used in this plot. It's also used in the stations down here. So hmm. uh, these stations are allow you to, because um, Ann Arbor has four separate weather stations that are reporting the data. So we're aggregating the data from those weather stations. Okay. Um, but if you actually wanted to investigate the source of the data, you could click on that and it will take you to that actual data source that we scraped. Oh. Um, and so, we needed to also cache the plot. We didn't need to, but it, you know, it still speeds up just a little bit more. Um, but the kind of heavy lifting of the app was uh, just taken care of by this. So this one line really made the biggest speed up difference. Uh, but just like there used to be render cached plot, uh, the new bind cache can just be uh, piped after a um, render plot 
and it does the exact same thing. It's actually kind of the preferred way of doing it now, um, which is uh, kind of going away from some of the previous examples of you know render cached plot or something like uh, there's a new uh, kind of I call it like a decorator function uh, for bind event, um, and that replaces essentially observe event. Um, and so the idea is we're trying to make the API a little bit simpler and make it easier to add on this new functionality. Um, so that is the kind of how caching got brought into this app. Uh, and so we have a whole article kind of, we have the first article in this app story talks about the motivation for the app, the app itself. The second article talks about the bind cache stuff that we just showed. Um, so if, if you want to know more about that, you can read that article. Um, it explains some of the, you know, why we cache both the uh, reactive data object, the city data, and also the plot, um, and then why we didn't cache uh, this input, which is actually kind of an interesting thing because, uh, you know, some things you don't want to cache because it's not a totally free operation. Ah, okay. Um, you still have to do a lookup, and sometimes um, it's quicker if you're doing something really simple, like just generating a couple uh, divs, which mm -hmm. is what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. It's just easier to just regenerate them every time. Uh, it's just not a complex thing. The complex stuff that really benefits from caching is this data access, aggregating the stuff that, you know, is just slow because it's always going to be slow. Uh, whereas the things uh, just like generating HTML output are always going to be fast. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I think is important context in this app story attempted to get at that, you know, motivation of here's how you can use find cache and here's why you use it. And here's, you know, also why you wouldn't use it. Um, and so the last of the three kind of, app of articles that go along with this app story is uh, dynamic theming with BSLib. Um, <laughs> so BS, yeah, so BSLib um, kind of stole the show for all of the shiny 1.6 updates and for good reason, um, which is, uh, Carson Siever has done just a, a, a superhuman amount of work getting BSLib working. And BSLib is a separate package from Shiny, but they're very intertwined, um, which, you know, Shiny depends on BSLib. So you kind of get it. You don't have to, it's not like an extra dependency that you need to add to your app anymore, uh, which is really nice. And BSLib allows you to theme your app really easily. Um, before, if you wanted to theme your app, you know, there was a theme argument in a lot of the UI functions and it took a string and that string had to be a boot swatch thing. It was right. kind of hard to understand, you know, where you did it. You could also use raw CSS, but then, you know, if you're using raw CSS, you got to know how to do that, where to put it. And that's something that, you know, I still have to look up <laughs> uh, every time I want to do it. So yeah. uh, it's not really reasonable to expect our users to know how to do that or want to do that because that's not your job, you're not a web developer, you're a data scientist. Yep. Um, so BSLib just basically gives you this really nice, straightforward interface where you have a theme object. So it's BS underscore theme. You can give it all sorts of things like the boot swatch. So this default right now we're using is the Cerulean boot swatch. So you have this nice kind of blue text up here with a nice font. Um, and then uh, we use this righteous font from Google, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and then we can also add external CSS. So there's some CSS external stuff going on here related to the laying out of these um, inputs, uh, which, you know, as a spoiler alert, will become a lot easier uh, when some of the layout stuff that I have been working on comes out. Mm -hmm, nice. um, but uh, you'll also notice there's this really nice command here, thematic underscore shiny. Mm. Um, and that is this really magical uh, thing, which is, it takes these plots that are in the app and automatically makes them match your web theme. And that is something that Carson has done a fantastic job of making it just kind of work, but there's a lot of complex stuff going on under the hood there because this is, you know, the font and everything for your plot is generated on your server, whereas this stuff is generated on your web. Right. Uh, and so we need to um, keep those things synced um, and that's not a not a easy thing to do. Well, uh, I don't even I can't even imagine the amount of engineering that's gone into tying all that oh, together. Yeah. Although I for a teaser to those out there, we may be finding out more about that in a future episode. So stay yeah. tuned. <laughs> 
So it's, it's, it's been fantastic. Um, and the, so, you know, the app story showed briefly, you know, how easy it is to just add this theme and, you know, how quickly that allows you to make your app look quite mm -hmm. nice. Um, but there's also kind of a hidden feature um, within BS Lib, which is, you know, we don't advertise it a ton because there's not actually a lot of use cases for it. Um, but it is quite interesting and kind of shows some of the underlying power of what's going on. Um, and that is the ability to change these themes while your app is running. Um, and so uh, we can demonstrate that here um, by saying, uh, you know, we put this little mode here that says, let's switch it to dark mode. So we switch it to dark mode and you'll see the CSS changed uh, and then the plots themselves updated and now it's in a dark theme. Uh, and what we've done is we just, just switched it to uh, the new, uh, let me find the uh, boot swatch. So we just said this uh, BS theme underscore update uh, and you set it to whatever the current input theme is, um, which we have set to um, the input value, which is either cerulean for light mode or darkly for dark mode wow um and that is just kind of it shows how cool this is uh and so you know this is the thing that you know if you wanted to add a light or dark mode toggle um you can do it um you know there's a lot of a lot of uh situations where you probably don't want to do that um for kind of user experience reasons but mm -hmm. uh we're showing that the power is there um if if you want it um and that hopefully use it use it wisely yes with great power comes great responsibility yeah. as i say yes. um there was a little nugget there if you don't mind going back to that snippet that the on the back end that did that change is the session object this is interesting because i've started using this more for even just saving arbitrary things so that i could pass them to different parts of the app um so it looks like in this case yeah that session object plays a critical role in making sure that the rest of the app, no matter how complex or simple it is, is knowing that that change took place without you having to pass yes. one parameter like back and forth between modules or things like that. Is that kind of a fair way to say mm -hmm. it? Yes. So yeah, the session object is kind of this magic all-knowing thing in your Shiny app that most of the time you can get away with not interacting with. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the more advanced use cases, uh, it becomes very handy to understand. Um, and so in the newest version, there's a set current theme uh, function attached to it uh, that takes this BS theme update. Um, one other way that it's coming in, uh, and this is important, we talk about it in the app story a little bit, is that in the bind cache for the plot, you know, we bind it to the city, but we also have to bind it to the current theme. Oh, yes. Um, and so there's this new function in Shiny called get current output info um, that holds that um, basically general information about the app. Um, so it has a bunch of things attached to it, but we just kind of arbitrarily chose the foreground color because when we switch it from light mode to dark mode, the foreground color changes. And so we wanna make sure that our um, plot is cached, not just for the city, but also for the theme. And so that means that, you know, the plot that it cached for Ann Arbor when it was in light mode doesn't get shown when we're in dark mode and we're back in Ann Arbor because those are two separate plots. So we don't want it to, and so that's one of the kind of like uh, tricky uh, asterisks with all of this stuff. But I will say that, you know, in terms of cache validation and, and invalidation, uh, uh, stuff like that, this is such an easy way of doing it. You don't have to create some sort of global variable and pass it around. Shiny handles that for you in the background, which I think is uh, quite, quite nice. Um, so, yeah, the session object is is kind of a magic uh, variable that sits there and does some really, really valuable stuff, but you don't need to know about it. But uh, if you want to kind of get deep in the weeds and push the limits, the session variable is definitely your friend. Yeah, I've been one of those really pushing it in ways that I don't think maybe should be possible, but they are, um, especially with um, application state with uh, bookmarking, which is something I hope I can... Yeah. share more uh, down the road but i winston knows i've hacked that system in ways that he never <laughs> dreamed of so <laughs> yeah well that's the whole point is yep. we want people to push these boundaries and show us where the limitations of it are so we can make it better um or 
so that's it's always good. It's the tool. It's the tool is not for us. The tool is for the users. Um, and so, how they want to use it is how they should use it. Yeah, and what's great about this example is it is not just showing one thing per se. Like you, you like you touched on, we're doing the the new implementation of caching, which in my opinion is way easier than it was in the early stages because yes. you all have had time to iterate on what worked before and what could be improved on. And now it is a much simpler API to uh, implement a lot of that and uh, the newer design features for theming. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, even at RStudio Global this year, all the to- all the hot topics in the shiny like birds of feather session was about oh my gosh it's amazing what we can do for theming <laughs> it's right up there <laughs> yes no it's 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 wonderful so yeah like i said the the app stories is a new session on the shiny website so kind of right next to articles um so i encourage everybody to uh go read what we have uh keep tuned we're gonna start putting out more as we get feedback on how people like these what they want to see done in the future, how they want to see it evolve. Um, so yeah, certainly if people read it and they you know, say we left something out, something isn't clear, please let us know. I can do it on GitHub uh, or Twitter. Uh, I think my handle is, is right down yeah. in the uh, theme. So yeah, just let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, because this is this is for everybody. Um, and so hopefully we can make it as, as good as possible. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have links to all that in the show notes. And and certainly thank you for walking us through what was, like I said, three, four amazing things that app has some for everybody. And yeah, it, that's the goal. It, yeah, I mean, uh, I do joke that the, uh, the the Geyser app has become like the MT cars of shiny. So anything you yeah. can do to break that monotony is, is welcome for Definitely. that. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So um, yeah, stay know. stay tuned on that stuff too. We we have lots of uh, lots of ideas that are in the pipeline for breaking that monotony. Um, look, know, kind of get people interested. Looking yeah. forward so, to that. Yeah, yeah. I, whenever yeah. I have to give talks internally about getting servers shiny, I have to do something outside of it because they'll just oh, yeah. like eyes will glaze over. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, I have a yeah a few more kind of general things I want to get your take on mm-hmm. because you have I think you kind of touch on in your beginnings like a very unique perspective given that you were a very heavy user of Shiny and doing some great apps in your in your schoolwork and then obviously um, now you're on the Shiny team itself and one thing I was always impressed about with you was your knowledge of the other web stacks of JavaScript um, CSS a lot of the design philosophies now in the early days even when we launched this shiny dev series there was not a lot out there to kind of translate these web type technologies to something that a a self-professed like our user like me first and foremost could really understand clearly and translate it to what concepts we know from the r side of things and we're starting to see more resources out there like our previous guest uh, david grangens Outstanding user interfaces with Shiny, and John Kuhn is also writing JavaScript for R. So that's just two of the things out there. Um, kind of your take on seeing that you've learned a lot of this before these resources came in. Um, do you see like this barrier of entry to taking these additional concepts into your Shiny development getting a little lower now with customizing with JavaScript? Kind of what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, so I think that. The barriers to entry of JavaScript in general are, are getting lower every day. Okay. Um, I think that tools like observable notebooks um, and stuff like that have really um, made it a lot easier to get kind of going with JavaScript. Um, and I think that there's been a kind of renewed push with the like observable notebook style coding for data science style. Uh, libraries and stuff with JavaScript. And so I think that, you know, as we get more people kind of coming from the data science world into the JavaScript world, we're going to get more people with their eyes on, you know, how to develop easier links between the technologies that they know. Um, so we're going to get a lot more people that, that might know are um, learning JavaScript. And so that's always a good, a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that um, Shiny itself 
recently hasn't you know made any giant leaps in terms of how to actually get your javascript running in shiny that being said there are a few kind of things that we are uh toying with to make it a little bit easier and i think that bs live did a really good um kind of give us a really good context a case study for doing that with css so i think you know bs lib does a lot of the things that that uh, CSS, you would want to use CSS for, um, but also allows you to add your own CSS in a really easy way with kind of the add rules function um, that I briefly showed in the app story. Um, and so I think that there's there's room for a very similar kind of uh, way of getting JavaScript into your app. Um, and you know, there, there's just a few little things that make JavaScript with Shiny um, a little bit confusing mm -hmm. um, for people, which is, you know, like there's uh, shiny, when a, when a browser renders, there's all sorts of different kind of events that happen and they don't happen synchronously. And that can be very confusing for someone coming from a, um, our kind of scripting background is that you're kind of really used to things happening synchronously, but stuff in JavaScript happens in a callback loop. And so it could be very confusing why, you know, you set up a JavaScript you know, a little bit of JavaScript to run and it just doesn't do what it should. Um, and a lot of times that's because it's running like before the app is actually displayed and stuff like that. Um, and so I think that there's there's a lot of room for improving that. Um, so I think that the community has done a very good job like with the resources that you mentioned of providing better education for people learning JavaScript from an R background. Um, and I think that now it's uh, kind of on us as the shiny team to make that a little bit easier to put into practice. Um, so it's uh, it's very exciting to see people get more interested in it um, because it was kind of a lonely realm for a while. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's lots of really really smart people thinking about it now, which is which is quite exciting. Um, but yeah, I think uh, as a team, you know, a vast majority of the users of Shiny don't know javascript and don't want to learn javascript and shouldn't have to learn javascript mm. um, and so that's really kind of why there isn't really first class tools for doing that yet is that you know if you really are a really good javascript developer usually you're not you're you're working with kind of a more standard web stack mm. um, but like i said now you know that javascript is becoming more of a data scientist tool uh that has changed and so i think shiny will attempt to keep up with that. Um, but how we do that uh, will certainly be uh, up in the air. Uh, but I think that there's lots of good avenues forward that hopefully we can we can go forward with. Yeah, I'll, I'll be watching Stay this tuned. space uh, quite closely yeah. as someone who literally did not know a lick of it before learning Shiny. I now mm -hmm. know slightly more thanks to some workshops <laughs> I attended, but it's still not a natural thing for me yet so it's going to take this old timer's brain here a little bit to get accustomed to the to the different paradigm but i have done a couple custom javascripty things in my app they're not any more extensive or anything but it is there there are definitely some layers of translation that hopefully as you said maybe tease it a little bit that will get a little easier for us to bridge those gaps yeah. uh, down the road yeah, so you know, HTML widgets is always a really excellent resource for that. Yes, um, but there's still a lot of boilerplate that goes on with generating an HTML widget um, that can kind of cause frustration. Um, and so, kind of what I have done in the past is, I, you know, R2D3 is a package. Uh, it provides a really good kind of way of getting rid of a lot of that boilerplate. Right. Um, and so if you're using D3, it's great. A lot of times though, I found myself when I need to just get something working, not even using D3, but mm. using just the really nice tooling around R2D3. Mm. Um, and so there's certainly uh, realm, uh, a, lot of, a lot of areas in the realm to improve upon. Um, but I think that uh, hopefully it'll get easier and easier because uh, you know, we should make it as easy as possible for people that want to do it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you kind of mentioned how in the early days, there wasn't a lot of people thinking about improving this space of customization. But when you take a step back and look at the shiny ecosystem as a whole, I mean, I would say certainly in the last three, four years, you've started to see 
many powerful extension packages that are not coming from our studio now. Um, you've got David Grandjian's R Interface suite of UI packages. You've got Golem, one of my favorites from the ThinkR team, and countless more that maybe are like a custom module or a custom like widget, but with Shiny awareness. I'm kind of curious, now you've been on the Shiny team for a bit, what's your perspective on this growing ecosystem now that you've been a contributor to like doing shiny stuff earlier now you're on the shiny team and kind of what's your what's your excitement level for that yeah i think like a lot of our kind of systems the tidyverse or stuff like that the ecosystem and the community surrounding it are really what make it great right shiny as a tool is, is great on its own but it's useless without you know people building cool things with it, people making nice extensions for it. Um, and so I think that R as a language is particularly good for this because the package kind of setup is so kind of consistent. It's it's straightforward. Um, you know, there are obviously complaints about how R manages packages, but, you know, coming from something like the JavaScript world, uh, where there's, if you want to use a JavaScript package, you have to have some big build tool. You have to, it's, <laughs> it can be really complicated. And then the quality of the code is, you know, anybody can put code there. Someone might change out the code and make it, you know, steal your CPU cycles for nefarious purposes. Whereas right. the R cram and, and kind of just the dev tools, suite of tools in general have helped the kind of tier quality of, of the average R package would be a lot higher than I think other languages and, and shiny benefits from that, just like everything else. Um, I think shiny is interesting in terms of developing extensions because a lot of the stuff is built on you know, this DOM structure. Um, and this is actually kind of a, a, a very topical issue, which is that, you know, we have things, a lot of times shiny packages are for building UI systems. Um, and one of the difficulties as a developer of an extension uh, to Shiny is that you don't really know what the underlying HTML is that Shiny generates. Mm, um, so right. if you've ever done something like looked at what uh, like a tab set panel generates, you know, it's great. It, it's HTML that works and, and does what it needs to, but every so often it changes and it can be really difficult if you want to go inside of that structure um, and make changes, but there's some really cool new features in the HTML tools package, which our team manages um, called tag query, which is based heavily on Java, uh, JavaScript's jQuery, um, which it provides this really nice tool for making changes to uh, the structure of kind of components or whatever, right in R. Um, and so it's very easy, like before, if you wanted to change like the font or something of a tab set panel, you would have to go in, know where to go, find the right attribute on your tag. And tag query is, is much, much easier and makes it much more robust to changes. So, you, you know, you just have to say like, you know, I want to find the element with the class of label uh, in this and I want to make a change to it. Um, and before that was just a pain. Um, and so tag query is one of those tools that the use case might not be obvious to people uh, when it first comes out, but the second that you try to start developing extensions to existing shiny interfaces, it's going to make your life a lot easier. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, as a team, we need to make that easier on people. We, you know, we benefit hugely from, from the community you know, improving the tool that we're making, you know, adding features that we either don't have time to do or don't realize are needed. Um, and so this is kind of an effort to make that easier for people, make their their new features more robust changes, um, hopefully solve them a lot, make them have a lot less headaches when a new feature, shiny or new version of Shiny comes out and all their stuff is broken. Hopefully this will help make that not happen or make it much easier to fix when it does happen. Yeah, I remember, um, I think it was a few days ago before the re we're recording this that either Barrett or someone else from the Shiny team teased this on Twitter. I'm like, what yeah. is this magic? Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to try it yeah. out. So 
I can see your points exactly how much easier it's going to make for changing these, you know, more dynamically, but also being prepared for that if, if future upgrades occur. Uh, yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. Barrett Schlerke has been uh, working on this recently, and he's done a lot of really good stuff with it. And it's it's for something that is just kind of in its first iteration. It's it's quite nice. Uh, I've I've started using it uh, internally for some of my stuff, and it's it's great. So. I'm eager to see uh, what people do with it. Yeah, I will be chopping at the bit for that um, for sure. Um, and one thing that's been unique about your experience, especially before you joined um, our studio, is the things that you've created online are not just like back-end sophisticated. You definitely have an eye for design. You, The work you do in your New York Times graphics internship was simply amazing. You've shared some of that online before. and. I still remember when you were at our studio conf a couple of years ago and you did like a, an e -po a poster and a poster session. It was like the slickest poster I've ever seen. It was a nice dashboardy mm -hmm. poster, but it's like, this is definitely not the cookie cutter thing you would see in a mm -hmm. typical conference. So you've definitely had an eye for this kind of great design kind of layouts or the ways of thinking for user experience with this. I'm just curious how that stuff is helped you with like your your role of creating shiny apps or on the shiny team itself and what others can kind of use as inspiration for leveling up their design skills in a, in a space like shiny yeah i mean the kind of design sense that i have uh it's been a combination of kind of a, a bunch of different things um you know, when I was younger, and I still am, but I was always interested in photography. Um, and so photography has all sorts of theories that are very well developed about, you know, kind of guiding the user's eye and, and kind of how busy you want to keep something kind of visually to, you know, draw attention to given places and, and make something a little bit more pleasant to look at. Um, and so that kind of has subtly influenced my work. Um, and then, kind of prior to um, prior to kind of being in applying these things to shiny more so yeah like I, I had the opportunity to work with the New York Times and though kind of I got to talk with you know just generally interact with people that have the excellent design sense mm -hmm. you know people that went to art school people that you know are have degrees in you know design interior design and all sorts of stuff like that and so you know you pick up lots of little things here and there um it is still i think a lot of it is kind of an art form um <laughs> but that's not necessarily something that makes it intimidating because i think that you can develop your own style um but you know I, I always also like to read things like you know online css tricks is a website that has a bunch of stuff in the context of CSS, so web development, um, but in general, kind of design, uh, they have lots of kind of tutorials and their stuff is well done. Um, and uh, I kind of like to think about design in a little bit uh, deeper of a way than I think, you know, might be obvious to do. Um, and that comes a little bit from some research that I did uh, as an undergrad uh, in human computer interaction, right? I studied data visualization um, and kind of how it, how different forms of data visualization impact um, how people take stuff away. Um, and so certainly I think all of the data visualization stuff I've done has directly led into just general design work because, you know, data visualization fundamentally is just designing uh, a product that is interesting and engaging to look at. And so that's kind of hopefully what your app does in general, mm -hmm. uh, just at a broader, broader scale. Um, so I think, uh, you know, th there's certainly lots of really inspiring people that do lots of stuff, you know, on Twitter, you know, I follow people like Nadia Bremer uh, and Shirley Wu, mm, uh, yeah. two really great examples. Um, Amelia Wattenberger is another person who's uh, come on the scene fairly recently and they, they do just ridiculously good kind of whimsical stuff uh, that's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, there's kind of the academic side of, of visualization and design. And I think that it's very valuable to kind of come at it more from the art artistic side of things. 
uh, just to get ideas. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of a grab bag of a bunch of thoughts. Um, but you know, I think that just making it something that you think about just a little bit longer than you otherwise would can make a huge difference uh, in, in the time of the quality of what you do. And then, you know, always keeping on building more, uh, you know, starting a new project, throwing away all the other stuff and starting fresh is, is always valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know the audience of some of the things that somebody makes is important too. Like I'll, I may have a niche app that's only for like a handful of people and they could care less mm -hmm. what the UI looks like. So I'm not going to spend as much time researching the best ways mm -hmm. of laying out this input here, this one here, but for the more sophisticated mm -hmm. things that are going into the hands of executives or, you know, leadership, and we have to make a decision based on the outputs we're showing them. I've got to have this design philosophy in mind and, Gosh, at least when I was in school, they don't teach you anything about that in a CS program at all. Yeah. So it, it's interesting yeah. to try and grok what the community is doing in this space. And certainly some of the people you mentioned are, are going to be people I, I look at their online work as well. Um, another great source that I've been seeing lately, I mean, it's been out two or three years in a row, is a shiny contest. Like what people are doing with their apps and a UI level are things that are like, how in the world did they do that? But now we can actually see it. Um, but it, it's great when you compare these things. There's always like some themes that you can bring into your work. It sometimes it's harder to find than others, but um, it's, you know, keeping an open eye is, is is a great way to do that. Yeah, yeah, and it's certainly you know you, you made a good point about kind of the context of the application being really important, and that's certainly true. Like. A lot, you know, if you're trying to make a data visualization and post it on the internet and get as many people looking at it as possible, or making a landing page for your new um, product or company that you're making, you want to make it engaging enough that it, it makes people, you know, stay and, and right. investigate it. Right. Um, whereas a lot of times, especially in the context of Shiny, the user in a way is kind of captive, right? Like they're gonna look at it anyways. And so in that case, there's a different kind of design mindset that you have to do, which a lot of times is making it easier to use. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those are, are complementary, you know, making it look nice and making it easy to use, but also a lot of times they're not. So uh, it kind of, a lot of the rules of like, you know, make, give yourself a bunch of white space and, and make everything look nice and clean uh, for something like a visualization that you put online is, just a way to make your people that are using your apps life difficult when they want to dig into something uh, in the tool that they need to do, you know, the, the setting is hidden behind, you know, a drop down menu and it should be right there available all the time. And so, yeah, it's certainly, there's all sorts of, you know, that, that that's kind of a dichotomy of, you know, capture the audience or captive, already captive audience. Uh, but then there's a whole gradient in between those two, right? right. Uh, you know, like if you're on a, a data science team and you're making something for your own team to you know, keep track of something kind of at a glance uh that's going to differ from a shiny app that you make like you said for giving to executives where they are interested in it but they also are potentially more fickle to uh, good design than, than yes. people that you know are more familiar with the data and the importance of it so yeah it's it's everything is a different uh, puzzle and I think that's what kind of makes it exciting is that there isn't some like you know use this model and plug and play and just go through it uh, and I think that makes it exciting but also can be frustrating I can, I can see why that you know not having a clear-cut answer uh, as to what's best can be frustrating yeah i know some teams are employing whether they're contracted out or they have some internally in their it group like user experience experts however mm -hmm. you want to call it yeah. i have not had the pleasure of having one of them work on my apps but i've been mm -hmm. trying to use the things that don't make my shiny apps look like a cookie cutter thing so like mm -hmm. the work yeah. that david's done with bs4 dash or some of the other packages he's done have been a huge help but What's interesting is he'll give me a whole bunch of different widgets or ways to lay things out, but it's still up to me to assemble it the right way. There's no like mm -hmm. great recipe to literally just copy paste into that. It does take a lot of thinking. It's not always comfortable, mm -hmm. but one thing that I've learned is that 
doing something and getting feedback regularly instead of just like wait at the end of like all this stuff is stitched together and you're they're like oh no we hate that page you got to do it I and mean, it's like no no i've done all this work um yeah. so I, i've learned that lesson the hard way a bit but we um one of my colleagues just told me this morning that when one of the executives looked at a revision of their app they just like oh this looks boring gotta do something better than this and now they have a ux person looking <laughs> so it's amazing like you said that the, the minds of you know levels of leadership versus other audience um, that they could go to definitely matters so i've been yeah. learning in this world sometimes not so comfortably but <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's a tricky you know thing and it's something that you know the best the best minds haven't solved right and like you look at something like uh card info systems and like you know all of the controls being in a slick kind of interface that looks cool but then right. when you're driving down the highway and you want to change the ac and it's you can't find it then like, <laughs> you know. so it's it's certainly not uh not a solved problem but you know i think it's that means that it's ripe for innovation and kind of creative thinking so yeah, absolutely. Um, we're all working on this together one way or another. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, I've had loads of fun talking about with all the things about your experience and your role on the team. Um, I'd like to kind of wrap this up with, you know, we get I get questions like this, even just for myself, even though I'm not on the Shining team about, oh, Eric, you talk to the Shining people a lot. How, how can we help out? Like, what, we have ideas. What can we do to bring them to you. So now that you're on the inside as well as being on the outside before, where, where do you think people should start in our shiny um, audience for contributing back or sending feedback to, to you and the team? Yeah, so I'm gonna sound a little bit like, uh, you know, parroting things that I'm sure other people always say, And but GitHub issues are always good. Um, you know, there are a lot of issues on the shiny repo. Um, so I can't guarantee that we get to them mm -hmm. uh, immediately or, or whatever, but they're really valuable ways of us gauging, you know, what's important. Um, and that is, you know, that's very important. I like I'll, I'll, one of the things I've been working on with the layout stuff, one of the kind of motivating factors and features of it is an issue, the most liked issue on the flex dashboard repo uh and so that's one thing that like you know because people went there and gave it a thumbs up you know that is an issue that's being solved and so mm. you know that that was input that helped us as as the team in shiny and i think you know in the future will help users not have that issue anymore um you know github issues can also still be intimidating uh just by virtue of you know not knowing you know what is appropriate and what is not appropriate um but you know i can say you know we're we're real people that understand that is intimidating uh so don't don't worry about that um but also you know for things that you might not have cohesively formed into kind of something that could be put as an issue on github just reaching out to us on on places like twitter um so twitter is a is a good uh way of getting in touch with with me in particular and you know everybody on the team is on Twitter uh, in various various uh, capacities um, and you know that's that's super good in terms of uh, getting our attention and uh, kind of gauging you know a lot of times we have no idea what people are running into issues with um, and so if you're running into it somebody else is probably running into it and so somehow letting us know is super valuable um and then you know at, at the very basic level like prs in the repos you know shiny or, or the related shiny repos of things like typos in the documentation you know i i will say like every time i really deeply read a documentation for a function in shiny i always find a typo or two and like that's something that is non-trivial in terms of you know it takes us time to fix it um and so if other you know people do something like that they make they make the kind of you know if someone is is on the fence about using shiny and they go into our the documentation they see a bunch of typos 
you know, that kind of gives the, the product a bad look mm. um, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. And so while it might feel trivial to someone to fix a typo, you really actually are doing the, the product itself a favor by, you know, making it you know, more likely that someone else will uh, be able to use it. You know, people that might not have English be their first language, typos can actually be really detrimental to understanding. Sure. Um, and so that, you know, something as small as that is super, super valuable. Um, and you should never be intimidated by it because anything like that is super appreciated um, in any form, you know, anywhere from typos to whole new features. You know, it's it's great because at the very least it shows what people are reading, what people are interested in, what people want. So um, yeah, those, those are, that's kind of my cookie cutter advice, um, <laughs> but you know, there's always, you know, just talking to people about it, building apps, pushing all the boundaries and then letting us know what breaks uh, is super, super helpful. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. And you never know where it leads to, right? It may seem like you're just mm-hmm. fixing something simple, but you in open yeah. source, it can establish kind of a almost like a, like a, a relationship a bit between you and the package and the thing you're using in your day to day work. And these little things build up over time and then you eventually can get recognized as like a key community, you know, user or contributor and you never know where that goes. I mean, gosh, I, I could never have built shiny myself, but I, I filed a couple of things here and there. And then when I still remember a few years ago when Joe Chang was invited to give a keynote at our first ever R pharma conference. And he was like, uh oh, who do I go to? And then he knew me because I've been in that industry, but I've talked with him a bit along with a few other power shiny users in my space. And he said he learned so much just by talking to a few of us on like just simple phone calls after brainstorming his presentation that it led to certain directions. But I would never have been put in that position if I didn't like try things out and I wasn't upfront with our studio about things that frankly could have been better or things that I was just having difficulty understanding. So no matter how simple it may look, you absolutely never know where it leads to. Definitely. It's yeah, there, there's no no contribution too small or, or trivial. Uh, and yeah, like you said, they can they can snowball into, you know, getting more familiar with something and realizing uh, you know, like an area that could use more substantial overhaul and that you happen to be good at that. So it's yeah. Just any any little thing is helpful, and that's yeah. We're always appreciative of it because yeah, we are just just humans, uh, and we make mistakes and typos and all sorts of stuff. So it's we we really appreciate Absolutely. any assistance from the community because you know it's always they're they're donating their time uh, to us, and that's we can't complain about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it is one of the testaments of open source that just closed mm-hmm. proprietary platforms just don't have unless they have built millions of dollars to spend on developers. Yeah. But even then, it's not the full spectrum of users per se. So, absolutely. Yeah. This, this has been fascinating. So many nuggets of wisdom here. And I think the Shiny team is in a great position now for your unique perspective on how things have been used in the, in the day to day. And you're bringing those learnings now. And um, yeah, you mentioned uh, Twitter seems like the best way to get a hold of you. And um, from what we yeah. discussed a couple of days ago, it sounds like you have some big plans for more content. Um, I don't know if you want to tease that here or. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we're certainly uh, looking at ways of breaking out of, of the echo chamber that is Twitter. You know, the R has a fantastic community on Twitter, um, but we also acknowledge that that's a very small portion of the total amount of people that use R. Um, and so we're always looking at uh, kind of ways of reaching out to the community in different places. Um, and we've been uh, toying with, with various ideas about how we can do that. Um, and so, you know, we can't can't for sure say what we're gonna do, but uh, hopefully some, some other mediums of kind of outreach, uh, whether it be via streaming or, or whatever, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna explore soon, so. Uh, Hopefully those will be well received, but uh, we we're always looking for ways to interact with the community. Like I said, and kind of get gauge what works about Shiny, what doesn't work about Shiny, um, and where where people are using Shiny. So 
Excellent. Hopefully, hopefully that will be a valuable new resource, but stay tuned. Okay. As well, I, yeah. I said for a lot of things. You're, you're, you're good at teasing us, um, but no, I will <laughs> be very much staying tuned to that. Um, and certainly, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be watching closely. Well, Nick, you have been very gracious of your time to be back on the Dev Series twice now, and you're always welcome back anytime. I'll be watching the app stories very closely along with the other uh, developments happening. So thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Excellent. Well, everybody, we, we will be back right after this. All right. My thanks to Nick for joining me on this episode. And you can hear a lot of new developments that he has in mind from both the community aspect of Shiny and even some more advancements coming up in building powerful UIs, which is something I'm trying to level up with in my skill set these days. So if you want, if you enjoyed that episode and you want to catch up on maybe episodes you've missed in the past, well, the best place to do that is to go to the Shiny Developer Series YouTube channel. That will be directly linked, obviously, in the show notes below. And also feel free to head to shinydevseries.com where I post all the episodes and detailed show notes that are curated by myself and our guests. And Curtis behind the scenes is always very instrumental with getting all that together and with the editing. So thank you, Curtis, as always, for a job well done. And I got some pretty interesting plans in the works to show you some of my Shiny developer um, ideas, maybe architecting some new systems together that show how Shiny integrates with different stacks, if you will. And while I may uh, live stream some of that to kind of see my thought process in action. So I hope you stay tuned for that and you'll see me announce those on my Twitter handle, which is at the RCast. And also I'll be posting all the recordings on YouTube, but I may be trying out Twitch for some live streaming. So again, I'll send details about that as they happen. All right, and I'm always welcome your feedback as well. Give me a shout out on Twitter. That's a great way to get a hold of me. And also shinydevseries.com has a little contact widget that is powered by Shiny, of course. So feel free to send me a shout on there if you have uh, feedback on past episodes or topic suggestions or anything else that's on your mind. All right, well, that's going to do it for me. And that has been episode 21 of the Shiny Developer Series. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.